can be found on page six of your bulletin if you'd like to read along. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to invite you to pull out, if you can find one around your seat, this orange card that should have been placed on each of the pews. And as you do that, um, last week we uh, were able to celebrate the arrival of Andrew and Natalie Exum's second child. And I also mentioned the birth of my third child, but uh, Noelle was, I don't know, out on a coffee break or something, so uh, we didn't get to uh, actually meet her. And so I'm going to take this uh, moment of personal privilege and ask my wife, Paula, to stand up and let's do another Simba thing, huh? And uh, we'll, we'll introduce our daughter, Noelle Kwan. There we go. Put your hands together, all right? Now just <laughs> I tell you, she is messing us up. Um, Pray for us. Um, All right, let's pray. Let's pray together. God, thank you for giving us life. Thank you for filling your word with life. We're we're not not just talking about empty words that we find on dead pages. We're talking about words that bring to us the very life of the Holy Spirit, the life of God. So we pray that we would believe that we would have expectations that are consistent with that conviction, that you really have power to do something really remarkable right now, would you please, would you please come, lift up Jesus, speak to our hearts, change our church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are kicking off a new year-long ministry initiative called One Body, many parts. And as I said recently to the leaders of our church, I really believe this is going to be one of the most exciting and impactful things that we've done in years at our church. 
The vision of one body, many parts, is that Grace Meridian Hill, our church, might grow as a place where every member of our community, from the back pew to the front pew, all the way up to the pulpit here, that every member would be cared for and served and loved and where every member would love and serve and care for those around them. How do we intend to move in this direction? Well, by doing some of the following, by gathering every member of our community into mutually supportive relationships in committed community. We want to invite you into deep relationships with one another by empowering every member with a vision of their significance, your significance, in the church and in the neighborhood. And by releasing every member for creative, collaborative service in the church and in the neighborhood and by developing a more mature community infrastructure that sustains healthy, fruitful ministry for the next half decade. Every person loving, every person loved, will you join us in making our church, your church, a place like that? The place to start, of course, is the Bible. That's where the language of one body, many parts comes from, after all. So for the next three weeks, we're going to study three different passages that teach us what it means to be such a church, one body with many parts. And each week then, these passages and sermons are going to be discussed and worked out in community, applied, worked out in our neighborhood groups. And so I want to encourage you to join or attend one of our midweek small groups, which meet throughout the week in different people's homes across this part of the city. I want to invite you to jump in and join right away. You can even pull out your Connect form and fill one out right now. And if you could grab this card, what you'll find here is a brief summary of what this vision is all about. You can pray for it. And so take this card and put it in your Bible or put it on your window or put it on your cubicle wall or wherever your fridge, uh, wherever you'll see it, to pray that God would make this initiative fruitful and impactful. What you'll find on the back here, along with this little slogan where every member of the body loves and every member is loved, a little schedule, an outline of the plan, the different sermons that are going to be preached across the next three weeks, together with neighborhood discussions, together with a few other events. We would love for you to track together with us and to participate in as many of these components as you can together as we attempt to grow as a church like this. Today, we're looking at Ephesians 4. You might have noticed how this passage uses the human body as a metaphor for the church. In verse 4, the apostle writes, there is one body. Verse 12, that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 15, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. The church is likened to a human body. 
I've been thinking about the human body a lot lately. My daughter's current unit in school is focused on the body, and so she's been asking me a lot of questions about organs and nutrition and health and things like that. Also, I was sick, been sick over the past few weeks, still recovering if you can't hear it, frustrated that my body wasn't responding like I wanted it to. Every day I'm watching our newborn's body grow and change and walking with my wife through pregnancy and labor and delivery and nursing has been this vivid reminder, sometimes very vivid reminder, that the human body is an amazingly complex miracle machine. And so that's what makes it such a rich metaphor for the church, an amazingly complex miracle machine. You, us, This body here, but what exactly does that mean? Let's start to unpack that together. First of all, the body means being together. The body means being together. You'll notice that this passage tells us that the body does mean embracing diversity because the human body has many different body parts, right? Arms, legs, heads, feet, ligaments, muscles, organs, In the same way, the church is comprised of differences, different kinds of individuals, different gifts, abilities, different personalities, different ethnicities, different roles in the church. As verse 7 tells us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So, as verse 16 says, each body part does its work, plays its part. We'll talk more about this aspect of body life, the diversity of our body parts, in the coming weeks. But the body not only means diversity, it also means unity. Because the body isn't just a bunch of random, scattered body parts. You're interconnected. You you make up a, a whole. You're related to the other parts, right? That's what constitutes a body, which is why verse 3 tells us this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And it's why verse 4 emphasizes the oneness of the church's members. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And if you possibly missed it, you heard a mention of all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, described as the Lord, and God the Holy Spirit, which tells us that the kind of togetherness that we are to share as a body is meant to reflect the togetherness of the Trinity itself. That's a tall order. And it's a togetherness, a oneness, That's not based on common personality, not based on common ethnicity, not based on common political affinity, but a togetherness that's grounded in a common identity in Christ. A common identity as sinners who've been saved by grace alone. That's who you are. That's who we are if you have, in fact, embraced Jesus. Being A body means being together in relationship. 
I mean, have you thought about this recently? We are called to be connected. You, you are called to be known by the community of faith. You are called to belong. This language that we're going to hear next week in Romans 12. You're called to belong and not just to the institution of the church, but to one another. Because the point of the body is relationships. Listen, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot about your gifts, your abilities, the ways that you can uniquely contribute to the church's mission. But the reason why it's so important for us to start here in the togetherness of the body is because it needs to be crystal clear. What we want most here at Grace Meridian Hill is not your gifts, not primarily, not your time or your generosity. What we want most, what God wants most is you. You. Your life, your brotherhood, your sisterhood, your friendship. Your life on life, solidarity through the brokenness of life, pointed together to the wholeness and redemption of life in Jesus' name. And look how important this is in this passage. You see, the book of Ephesians here, we're stepping in at chapter 4. There were three chapters that preceded where we jumped in today. Ephesians starts off with this incredible reminder of all the spiritual blessings that those who are in Christ have in Christ. Including promises like this, that you have been loved before the creation of the world by God in Jesus. Which means your salvation was not an afterthought and not an accident. Can you imagine this kind of love? We've been told that we, we, we've been brought to spiritual life, that there's a, an appropriate way in which you can say before you're connected to Jesus that you are spiritually dead. But God in Christ has made you alive with him. Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins. You have been saved by grace, not by your works, Ephesians 2. Not by anything that you did to earn God's favor, which is the free, most free message in the world. That God's commitment to you and his blessings for you are not conditioned upon your daily performance in his sight. It's conditioned rather on the perfect performance of Jesus, which never changes. Which means that God is never going to change his mind about you. That's good news because he loves you even as he loves his very own son. Who wants to be loved like that? That's what we long for. These are the promises of the gospel that have been unpacked for three chapters now. Go back and read it yourself. It's worth a read. And now in chapter 4, we're arriving at a turning point in the letter starting in chapter 4 where Paul is starting to work out practical implications of these very glorious promises of the gospel. And so he starts off in verse 1 saying this, Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
your calling to Christ? What's a life worthy of that calling? What's a life worthy of the grace that you have received? What's a life consistent with all the gospel lavishness that you've been given in Christ? What is that life? Be together. Do you hear it? What is the life worthy of the calling you have received? It's the together life. It's life in the body. Do you hear the weight of this? Dear friends, too many of you have been trying to limp along spiritually on your own. Isolated. Independent. For some of you, it's because of, well, I just haven't gotten around to committing myself to jumping in. For others of you, maybe it's excuses of busyness. For others, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pride because, hey, I think I can do it all on my own. For others, maybe it's fear. I'm not sure I want to be known. We're told here, you cannot do it on your own. The Christian life was not meant to be on your own. You will stagnate in your growth. You will not make it. You need to be surrounded by community, by family, by the togetherness of the body of Christ. It is not optional. It is a calling that is consistent with the very life into which you've been called in Christ. And so I want to say, if, if you are exploring the Christian faith, I want to invite you to, to dare to say, you know what, I'm going to show up uh, again and again. Maybe even jump into a small group. Uh, because you, you know you, you are meant to figure this Jesus thing out together. Not on your own. If you're a Christian, you really need to be in vital community. You, you need to be somewhere where you are known. And I'm not just talking about friends on the other side of the country that you might text message or reach out to via social media. I mean people that can see the tears in your eyes. People that can put a hand on your back when you're doubled over in pain or in shame. Somebody that can laugh with you and shed tears of joy with you. Someone that can visibly and physically incarnate the grace and the presence of Jesus. You need a friend here. You need a community here, wherever you are. And right now, you are here. You need to be somewhere where your faith is being instructed. Somewhere where you are being cared for. Where you belong to a church body where you find accountability, where you find encouragement. You know, because accountability is not just someone that's policing your faith. It's someone that is lighting a fire under your faith. Someone that's telling you, you've got to believe that God loves you. I know it's hard. You've got to believe that he's with you, that he's near to you. Because we never have enough power to simply remind ourselves and to stoke the flames of faith on our own. We need each other. We need to be together. Or maybe you've been a part of our church, but you really haven't immersed yourself in the community. Maybe you've kind of been around, but you haven't really dived in. Uh, maybe you've been benefiting, but have you been contributing? Uh, maybe you've been participating, but are you connected? 
Maybe someone knows your name, but does someone know your story? Uh, Someone might know your smile, but have you shown them your frown? This is what we need to bring to each other, our whole selves, because I tell you, isn't that what we really want to be known and loved and accepted as our whole selves, not our fragmented selves? By grace, it's possible. This is where it happens. You're invited into togetherness. And so I want to be concrete. I want to again invite you to join a neighborhood group a small group that meets outside of this Sunday setting, a place, a smaller unit, more offline, where you can connect with people, or you can join the moms group, which is just getting started this week, I believe, this month. Places where you can be known and connected. We would love for our official formal members of Grace Meridian Hill to have 100% small group attendance in this coming season. Because we really want to double down and say we're going to walk the walk and not just talk about it. That you need to be in community if you're going to thrive in your faith. Some of you need to take a pen out right now and fill out that connect form or circle that mom's group thing or talk about needing to, wanting to find out more about neighborhood groups. Some of you might consider the membership seminar that's coming up in several weeks a way for you to move into committed community where you're actually promising, I'm, I'm going to be here as long as I'm here, and this is going to be my spiritual home. Or maybe some of you, you're a little bit freaked out by this. <laughs> maybe I'm going too fast or too far for you. We got Jim, who's waiting for you at the fountains after church, and he just wants to eat some takeout with you. Go connect and express some of this togetherness even that far. Hang out after service today. Take whatever steps that you need to take from where you are to the next step deeper into body life. Being a body means being together. Being a body means being together. But someone says together for what? Together for what? Just to hang or kumbaya or just to say we're a part of the same church? What exactly is it? Well, the body means being together. The body also means growing. We introduced our baby Noel uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, the fact of the matter is she has been struggling a bit with her feeding. It's been a lot of work for us to find ways to really get her to be sustained as she learns how to feed herself and to allow herself to be fed. And so, of course, there's this extra attentiveness on my part and Paula's part to kind of watch her and to see signs of, is she doing all right? And is she growing? Is she healthy? Because you know, we know, and she has been doing well, by the way. We know that if you're healthy, the nature of a body is to grow. Bodies grow, and the apostle tells us that about the body of Christ as well. This relates to what we might be able to describe as the purposes of the church. The purposes of the church. The church is called to serve God in worship, to serve his people in nurture, and to serve the world in mission and witness. In various places in scripture, we're told that the church exists for worship, to give God praise to make God's heart filled with delight, to give him what he is due, 
to show just how great God really is. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, we're told that God has purposes for the church to live for the praise of his glory. That we actually, as a church, exist for the glory of God. But the church also exists for the service of those outside the church. The world around us. And that's the responsibility that the church has to be a light to the world. To be salt in the earth. To communicate the gospel verbally as well as in our deeds and actions. To tell people about Christ and the good news of Jesus. It's what we call evangelism. But also to bring deeds of mercy and justice to the world that is broken and needy and seeking wholeness and healing. The church reaches up, the church reaches out, but the church also reaches in. And this is the main emphasis of this passage here. That the church's purpose is also, thirdly, to nurture followers of Jesus in community. And by nurture, what we mean is nurturing in terms of caring for people in their woundedness. Walking with people, providing comfort, support, care, love, compassion in times of need. But also nurture in times, uh, nurture in the sense of building up people unto maturity in faith. We see this at several points in this passage, if you'll look at it together with me. In verse 12, we're told that Christ has given different functions of leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that what? What is the end goal? So that the body of Christ may be built up. In verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. And we find that word again, maturity, echoed again at the end of this passage in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. That one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons why we gather here, why we are together, is because you cannot grow spiritually apart from this body. That you are meant to mature both individually and corporately, to become more of a full, strong, healthy person being remade in the image of Jesus. As you grow in your knowledge of the Son of God, verse 13, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which means you need to be instructed. You need to learn about God's word. More than that, you need to learn how to apply it, how to live it, how to bear fruit in your character, in your obedience to Christ. In your followership to Jesus. The church exists for your maturity, for your growth. Because the nature of a body is to grow. And this, you see, these aren't just purposes for the church in the abstract. Like, why are we here? Well, let's just talk about this abstract vision of why. I mean, this is stuff that really shows up in real life. It's what makes it such a privilege to be a part of a body together with you. 
to see these three different purposes show up as real-life privileges scattered throughout our community. A body that exists for worship of God. A body that exists for spiritual growth and maturity and nurture amongst the people. A body that exists for the outreach to the community through words of evangelism and deeds of mercy. We see this happening all around us all the time. I'm thinking of one individual who came into our church with sort of a spiritual awakening already beginning to happen. And there was a lot of resistance, I remember, as I walked with her, as many of you walked with her, and almost a, a, a hunger to find truth that she could sink her teeth into. A, 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 a God who actually would be both a God of truth and a God of grace. A lot of reluctance on her part, but through many conversations with many of you, through ways in which God just pierced her heart week in and week out, moving her even to tears, finally one day coming to the point of being able to say with a clear conscience, I think it's true, I am a Christian now. Or another person that I have in mind, a person that I've known for quite a while and I barely recognize her because she's changed that much. The ways in which the grace of Christ indeed has been nurturing this individual, changing character, changing dreams, changing hearts. Because she herself has even said, yeah, I, I admit it, I'm different. God's been working on me teaching me to forgive, teaching me to love, teaching me the importance of racial reconciliation and the love of neighbor, something that I never cared about really before or saw the importance of. Someone who's become a leader in the church and has the softest of hearts will weep with you and love with you because God is at work in you and in her. Or another young man in the community that we've been building a relationship with who made a mistake, a grave one, that he regrets and actually found himself in the judicial court system. Made some bad choices, but humbly moved through it, reflected upon his life, and has been taking new steps to start a new day, to stand up, to find an education, to maybe get free of the things that have been entangling him here on some of the blocks and streets of this neighborhood because he wants a better life for himself, and I think he's beginning to believe that God might be in that life that he sees ahead of himself. Or knowing a sister who, for some time, has been struggling with cancer. Devastating, of course, for all of us, and yet the privilege that it's been to watch her struggle faithfully, honestly and truly, but faithfully, hanging on to what she could, when she could, in between and during and through chemotherapy, treatments and surgery. Persevering, not out of the strength that she has, but only by the strength that God provides. Being able to now say with medical confidence that she is cancer-free, but possibly the most encouraging testimony and declaration of all 
is the one when you hear her tell her story and for her to say unequivocally, God is good. Because you can't talk like that unless God is at work in your life and even in your cancer. And as I look out at different people struggling in their marriages, trying to be faithful, walking through different areas of brokenness and struggle and pain, different people that are growing, some that aren't sure how they're growing, but are still trying to walk even in the darkness, knowing that God holds them by their right hand, people that are extending themselves through initiatives like Safe Families for Children, giving up their time, their comfort, their convenience in order to love people as Christ has loved them. People that are willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of others, who have committed themselves to being a neighbor in radical ways, of being present in the lives of those immediately around them, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. This is God at work in our community. These are not just abstract purposes of the church. These are the privileges that we have of seeing God in our very midst. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to see more of it? Do you want to see this body grow and flourish that we might be able to tell more stories of God's faithfulness and of his amazing grace? The body means being together. The body means growing together. The body means having life. Of course, a body means having life. That's what we're talking about, a living body. But here, the apostle is talking about a different kind of life. And I just want to make this quick point because it's so important for us to remember. You see in verse 3, the apostle talking about the unity that the body has of the unity of the spirit. And how even the description that we've used a couple times now in verse 12 and other places of the church as the body of Christ. You see, we're not just talking about a mere metaphor or analogy. We are actually talking about the church of Jesus being the very physical presence of the eternal Savior Jesus Christ here on earth. As the apostle says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That means you, dear friends, in the church are the physical hands, feet, torso, and heart of Christ himself. What that means is the life of God. You have to actually stop to try to get your mind around this. The life of God is pulsating through your relationships. And in this togetherness, if we would dare to believe the supernatural character of the church. You know, popular these days, more and more so, is this genre of movies, subgenre really, uh, the, the paranormal activity, right? And it's sort of this fascination that this generation has with unseen spiritual realities, the demonic, things that apparently are always there, but unless you have the right device or gadget 
or unless you're in the right house, or unless you're, you've got the right person that has a special gifting, that you don't actually see what really is there and always has been there. Okay, I don't know if I can pivot this well here, but there's a different kind of paranormal activity that is always ongoing in the life of church if you would actually have eyes to see it. It's the supernormal activity of the Holy Spirit himself. At work in your relationships, gushing through your words of encouragement into the life and the heart of another person, extending through your fingers as you reach out with deeds of compassion, just oozing with osmosis it, as you offer up ministry of presence, just sitting next to, not even saying a word or doing a deed, sitting next to a person in a time of crisis and trauma, the life of God pulsating between you. You are the body of Christ. Christ is your head. We are filling the rest of the body parts. You are the life of God here on earth. Get your minds around it. You are paranormal. You are abnormal. You are utterly weird. You are strange. You have eternal potential for who knows what of what kind of life change in these very pews, of what kind of neighborhood change in our streets and blocks here. Who knows what if God is here? Who's no, who, who knows what can happen in the midst of these conversations and connections as we live out this togetherness if we would believe that we are really the body of the living Jesus. I mean, what would, it, what, what would change if you started to interact with that different attitude and even expectation? You know, that, that you would actually see each other as being associated with this amazing, mind-blowing, otherworldly thing called the church. I mean, here's a point of application. Some of you need to go to each other sometime today or later on this week, and you need to say to each other, you've got an amazing body. <laughs> now, don't say that to everyone. <laughs> and get in trouble a little bit. But do you believe it? Do you see each other as being part of this supernatural entity? called the body of Christ. And that this body can grow and can change and can be built up and can really do amazing things. I mean, what is it? What is it that could do this? That could actually impact this body's effectiveness? What is it that can actually make this body, this pulsating life of God in physical form, in human relationships, what can make it effective? What can make it fruitful? What is it that it must be something out of this world, right? I mean, it really must be something that you just would be mind-blowing. What could it possibly be? It's you. It's you, it's, it's me, it's you, me. It's broken, flawed, screwed up people like us that God has chosen to be agents of eternal redemption. 
redemption in and through the very body of his resurrected son. There is no greater privilege than to wear that uniform, to take that task, to fulfill that role, and to be a member of the body of Christ. As the apostle says at several points in this passage, verse 7, each one of us has been given grace as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So who's doing the building up of this amazing body of Jesus? Who's doing the building? It's the people. It's the saints of Christ. It's you. It's me. And you say, hold on a second. I thought it was the professionals. I thought it was the pastors, the leaders. Don't they list them right here? But look, it's very clear. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, let's just call them church leaders, their role is to equip people, to equip you to do the work of ministry. Every single one of you are ministers in Christ. Every single one of you are bodybuilders in Christ. My role, leaders' roles, are to equip you to do the work of ministry, not to do all the work of ministry. And I've got to say, that's been a fatal flaw in the way that I've often led even this community and done ministry myself. Forgetting this very verse, which of course I know and have studied and have even taught, but too often acting as though and believing as though it rests upon me for me to do When in fact, my role is not only to do, but to equip all of you to do that we might do together. Because the vision that God has given to the church is that this might be in every member community, in every member body, in every member project of redemption. Where every single person is vital to the task. Every single person has a calling. Every single person fits. Every person is needed. Every person is important and significant to what God has set apart from before time. To take place here in this church, in this neighborhood, in these lives. God has set it apart for you to participate in it. Every member is vital to the project of the gospel going forth here at Grace Meridian Hill and through this church also. You've got to understand we are calling you through this initiative to jump on in. But don't ever mistake this. You're not just being you're not just being called to join a ministry team, though we will ask you to do that. Not just a ministry team and not just a role. You're being invited to join glory. You're being invited to be a vessel of the life of God. A carrier of the life-changing redemption of Christ. An instrument of the one Holy Spirit of God working in you and through you in another neighbor's life. This is a bit of the picture of what the body of Christ is all about and what we're pursuing in this vision, one body, many parts. Where every member of the body is doing its part, but that we do it together. We're doing it in community. We're being cared for even as we care for one another. 
where we're in a body that's growing, taking on the privilege of seeing the life of God at work within us, that we know that we're a part of something paranormal. And so it's the utmost privilege to be included, to be a part of it, to have front row seats, no matter where you're sitting, to all of us have front row seats into the eternal purposes of God locally here. This is the invitation to you. This is what we're trying to pursue over the next several weeks, but also across the entire year. That we might be a community where every single person here is loved, richly loved, and not forgotten is loved. And every single person richly loves, reaches out and loves again. Won't you join us? Won't you help us to become this sort of body of Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, we're offering ourselves to you. And we ask that you would... Give us insight, give us vision, give us love, give us humility, give us what we need to become a church that's more aligned to what you would have us be as a church. We give ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.